0: Very good. So um, let, me, let me start this morning with a disclaimer as we get going. Some weeks more than others, you feel very, I'll use an I statement. Some weeks more than others, I feel more or less equipped to share with you what I'm about to share with you. This particular week feels like one of those that I am bringing nothing but my need in this area. We're, this is a sermon on busyness. I'm not good at this. Busy life, busy heart, very true of this individual up here in front of you. So I'm going to trust that the gospel is stronger, that God's word is stronger than my ability to communicate this or my ability to live this out and trust that in some way Uh, my weakness and our collective weakness in this area might be something that the Holy Spirit would use even this morning as we're about to launch into all the normal things of life uh, to to be a strength, to buoy us in ways that we just can't. Um, Because there's actually a term now for the feeling that many of us have, this feeling of having too much to do and not enough time to do it. This term is time poverty. So it's like a socially documented psychological phenomena uh, that is now being written about in medical and psychological journals. The feeling of having too much to do and not enough time to do it. Uh, This year, two different studies were done. One was done at the Harvard Business School, did a survey of 2.5 million Americans And what they surveyed and found is that time poverty, the feeling of having too much to do and not enough time to do it, had a stronger negative effect on a person's well-being than did losing a job. That being out of work compared to feeling so overworked that the overworked crowd actually felt worse, however they measured that, than those without work. Secondly, uh, a psychologist named Jared Selnicker studied people in the U.S. and France and South Korea, also this year. Uh, And what they noticed, they're trying to answer the question, why? Why are cultures all around the world now so busy? There's so much going on. There's this internal churning. People are feeling more overwhelmed with their life. Well-being is going down, not up, even though technology and resource and opportunity is going up, not down. And this is what he found. He said, across the board, people who exhibit high levels of effort in their cultures are considered morally admirable. To be busy is to be morally admirable today. I feel that. I love to be asked, hey, I know you're so busy. And so, you know, I just don't, don't want to impose. I don't want to ask any more of you. That, that statement, I know you're so busy, feels so good to this heart. Because, yes, I am busy. Because, yes, I am important. And there's there's this churning inside of us that the busyness of life begins to feel like I am doing something that is valuable, that is worth doing, that I am making myself count and this little space on this planet that I occupy right now, I am making it count by the amount of things that I can get done in a day. So in short, people are busy because we want to be. I'm busy because I want to be, because it makes me feel good. It makes me feel important. It makes me feel valuable. Now, this is the spot in the sermon where uh, I would dial up The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer, wonderful book, Uh, commend it to you, go read it. And I would talk to you about how Jesus went away on a mountaintop, talk about silence, talk about solitude, talk about all those things. That's a part of the full picture. That's not the whole picture. The parable that we're about to jump into is actually, (laughs) in one way to view it, is a parable on time management. We're about to jump into the parable of the talents. And it is a space where Jesus is teaching that whether you're busy or whether you're bored or whether you're anywhere in between... Every one of us needs help knowing how do I use the time that I have, especially as we're about to jump into a new school year and away from the vacations of summer and many of us are now centralizing our life around a very consistent schedule and the same predictable things to happen week after week after week. How do I make the best use of these small windows of time that I have? And what you'll hear in what I believe Adrian is about to read, is that it's not about what you do, but it's about investing in what matters, matters. Busyness is not the issue. It's about wise stewardship of this little space and this little person that we have been given this opportunity in 2023 to live on this earth. So, we're going to read it, and we're going to talk about it, and we're going to come to the table. Uh, so, Adrian, will you come and read the parable of the talents? Matthew twenty five fourteen
1: through 30. For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered me five talents. Here I've made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter the joy of your master. And also he who had two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, "Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little; I will I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master." And also he who had received the one talent came forward saying, "Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours." But his master answered him, "You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. In my coming, at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. For everyone who has who has will more will more be given, and he will have in abundance." But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The word of our Lord.
0: Okay, that's a big one. Let's figure out what we're supposed to do with it. Um, We're in the last week now and next week are launching into um, a study of Revelation. So buckle up. (laughs) But this week, uh, we're concluding our summer series, which has gone like this. We've spent seven weeks uh, just looking through the Lord's Prayer, asking Jesus to do the thing that he initially did when he uh, answered the same question for his disciples, teach me how to pray. Uh, Then a couple of particularly difficult lines that Jesus says are when he talks about praying and seeking for your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we've been trying to look at what exactly is Jesus talking about when he says your kingdom come your will be done. What am I supposed to pray for? What am I supposed to seek after in Jesus's kingdom? What does that even mean? And so Jesus has been painting this picture Using these kingdom parables, these stories where he says, by way of analogy, I know this is difficult for you to understand. So the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like, or the kingdom of heaven is like. And so here he goes again, what he's described so far is that his kingdom, another way to describe that is his rule and reign, the rule and reign of King Jesus, the ascended Lord of heaven and earth his reign on earth through his church is a small but growing movement of God's grace, creating a humble, generous, merciful, and just people. And so he's used illustrations and images like mustard seeds and little kids and hidden treasure and giant debts being forgiven, all to illustrate these points. Now, if all those things are true of us, then how are we supposed to live and exist in this world? If he has made and set apart a people for himself and those doors are wide open for others to come and be a part of his people, what does that then look like for how we spend our time? Do we spend our time distinctly from the way that others might? Is there anything unique about time management according to Jesus? And so he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man going on a journey and trusting his servants, his property. Two things he's not saying, at least, because one way we might take this is to say, okay, if, this is, or if we are his kingdom people, he's set us apart, then what we are to do is just sort of wholly huddle together. and Sorry, everybody just come together. We're all going to hunker down and we're going to live as non evilly as we can until Jesus comes back or we go to be with him. That's one option. Option two is we're just going to kind of live and let live. We're going to go with the flow in the culture. We're going to assimilate where we can. We're just going to try to blend in and get along. He says, no, actually, neither of those are an adequate use of what life and breath and talent and gift and ability that he's given you. But instead, Jesus commands and encourages and invites. And then what we're going to see is empowers A different way of living, a way of investing in a way that only you can in your relationship with God and your relationship with other people. That to live as a kingdom person means that you are a God centered person and an others centered person. To be busy, Jesus was busy. He was busy loving his father by loving all of the people around him at all times. He knew when he needed to pull away, but he was a busy man. And so the call is not to go live necessarily in seclusion as an ascetic monk somewhere, but the call is how do you live right here, right now in the place that God has put you, but with a new or at least renewed sense of purpose and meaning and goal and investment of every great thing that the Lord has given you for the sake of somebody else. Now, because busyness is such an issue for me, and I'm sure many of us in this room, uh, we're going to try to answer the question, am I investing my time in what matters? As I head into this new school year, as I head into this new work season, how am I investing my time? Am I unhealthy busy, or am I healthy busy? So, uh, Jesus first describes unhealthy busy. He Well, actually, does, he does both at the same time. But the context here is Jesus is teaching as he is about to head out. So Jesus, these are one of the last few parables, the last few teachings that Jesus gives before he is about to, he knowing this, is about to be crucified, will raise from the dead three days later, and then will ascend to heaven 40 days after that. And so, in a very similar way to like when your boss goes out of town, do you normally work more hard or less hard when your boss goes out of town. Everybody knows the, when the cat's away, the mice will play kind of scenario. And so Jesus is saying, I, I want to be wary of everyone's natural tendency. When I go away, it's gonna be very easy for you to forget that I was even here. And so how do you continue to live and cultivate a lifestyle as if I'm still real? Because I am, you just can't see me. I will be ascended and ruling over all of heaven and earth. But how do you continue to cultivate a lifestyle that believes more and more that that's actually reality? And so he paints this picture. He says, uh, just before this passage in Matthew 24, he says, he's talking about stewardship. That you have the wicked servant who says to himself, my master's delayed. Talking about when the cat's away, the mice will play. And begins to beat his fellow servant and eats and drinks with the drunkards. The master of the servant will come on a day that he does not expect and an hour that he does not expect and cut him into pieces and put him with the hypocrites. That is strong language. But he's painting this picture of, listen, every one of you, when I go away, are going to be tempted to just fold back into your normal way of life. Peter did this. Jesus goes away, well, it's all over. Guess I'm just gonna go back to kind of, you know, sending my line out, throwing my net out, doing my fishing thing. We will all naturally be pulled back into sort of the normal ways of the world. How do we live any kind of differently? So he tells this parable. He tells this story. He says, a man has, uh, it owns a number, uh, a large sum of money. Just one talent was somewhere in the neighborhood of 600,000 bucks, tons of money. That this man has. And this guy in that day and age, it was very common to have servants. These servants were not the slaves, uh, as you may be aware of in our more recent history, but more so these were men who, and women who then worked for this master who were given particular aspects of his household to then do what the master wished for them to do. So these three ser- servants had a job and their job was not just keeping their money safe. This was not just meant to be a savings account. This was meant to be an investment. So like a venture capitalist who's investing in a new business in town, uh, they don't just want the initial investment that they gave back safely to them. They want you to ROI. They want a return on their investment. And so Jesus goes on. Now, uh, this man then leaves, goes on a journey, entrusts his household to these people. Uh, he didn't have E-Trade at the time, so he couldn't like check his app and make sure that his investments were doing okay. He had to entrust it to other people. One servant, he gives five talents. That's somewhere around $3 million. Uh, another servant, he gives two talents. That's like $1.5 million. And then his last servant, he gives one talent which is, like I said, about 600000 So massive amounts of money, potentially more money than these guys have ever seen in their entire lives. And for whatever amount of time he's gone, then he returns. As he returns, he he calls all these servants to himself and says, how'd you do? How'd it go? I hope you invested well. I hope you had fun wheeling and dealing with my stuff. One guy comes to him, says, I took your five, I made it 10. I took your two, I made it four. And then the third guy, he says, I took your one and made it one. Aren't you proud of me? So we just got back from the beach uh, a little over a week ago and my grandparents have owned this condo in Panama City since I was probably three or four years old. And it would be as if we hired a rental company to rent out our condo for us while we were not there. And at the end of the year, we went back to that rental company and said, great, hey, how'd we do? And they said, well, you know, um, we didn't really do much on the whole renting it out part of the thing, but we cleaned that every day. And your place is the most immaculate, beautiful, you could eat off of the kitchen floors. It is amazing. What would your reaction be? That's not what I hired you for. I hired you to take this and to make it into something else, to take this and invest it, not just keep it safe for me. Romans 1 says that this is what we all do with this world that God has given us. he, Romans 1, Paul describes that we all internally, there's some little part of us that we are born into this world believing that God exists. In some kind of way, shape, or form, we believe that there is something other than us that exists in this world. Uh, We see the Grand Canyon. We see the glorious mountains. We see the sunrise and the sunset. And we believe there has to be something more than just me and just what I can see in this world. But then Paul goes on to say that, and what we do with that is we say, oh, wow, this world is so beautiful. And then we take our little chunk and we take all of our chips and we bring them in as tightly as we can and we shine it up real nice, and we shine up our house real nice, and we work really hard in our jobs, and we shine up our car, and we make sure we have a healthy savings account, and we take all of this glorious, beautiful, wonderful life that God has given us, and we hold it tight and make sure that when we leave, we're going to at least be square. We're at least going to be even with what we brought into it. That our investment predominantly is more about me than it is about anybody else. And he's speaking into that and saying, this is a wasted life, a life of selfishness, a life centered on only shining up your little piece of this pie. Your little section of this world is a smaller life than you are called to live. And potentially, as you begin to do that, you feel some of that smallness. You feel there's something more for me in this life. There's something that I should be do. I want to be a part of something that matters. I want to be a part of something amazing, bigger than myself, beautiful. And Jesus says, you have that opportunity. When Jesus is asked a couple chapters before, what is the greatest commandment you could give us, Jesus? If you could boil everything down in this entire book, what would you say? The two things we have to do. The one big thing with two subtexts. And Jesus says, well, love God, love other people. The very last thing he says before he leaves to sit on his throne in heaven is go make disciples, which is just an overflow out of how do you really love people? You tell them, you show them in the same way that Jesus would. You live this gospel life that demands an explanation. You love other people in such a way that they're confused by the amount of love that's coming out of you that has to be sourced from somewhere other than what they're giving back. So the greatest commandment and the greatest commission begin to to shape what a life that counts is, a life that invests in our relationship with the Lord and a life that invests in other people for the sake of Jesus. If you boil everything else down that we're meant to do with this time that we have and every part of what makes us us, that is the nugget. That is the tip of the spear of what our lives are meant to be about. The third servant didn't get this. The third servant then was unhealthy busy. He was busy doing his own thing. He was still busy. Like he went and got his shovel And then he had to dig however big a hole it was to fit $600,000 in, which I imagine was a pretty big hole. Then he had to walk by that thing every day and make sure that the grass was growing back over it, that nobody would notice it, that he had to make sure that his master would be pleased because he had kept it safe. He was busy. He was just busy doing the wrong stuff. Jesus is saying it's possible to be busy and to be busy doing the wrong stuff. Align yourself with the same purpose that I lived, Jesus says. A life with an outward face. A life of love of God and neighbor. Because to do the other may feel, at least for a while, like an effective life. But as you begin to look back, you see that there's a much bigger life that you're invited into. Because to be healthy busy is a description of the five-talent guy and the two-talent guy. Now, here's where we're going to be tempted. I could end the sermon right now. Okay, everybody, go be the five-talent guy. Go be the two-talent guy. You get back out there and you live it up for Jesus. Go get him. And that would be a moralistic, unattainable message. It would have no power because it would have no gospel. It would have no good news. Romans 1 also goes on to say that the only power that can change an unhurried, uh, sorry, uh, uh, an unhealthy, busy life, the only power that can change us, that can actually open our eyes to see there actually is a God of the universe. There actually is a God that would love me that I could love other people without fear that I was going to Avail all my resources and have nothing to give back. Jesus is the model of healthy busyness because to be healthy busy is to invest. That's the image here. It's an image of investment. What do we know to be true of investment? Investment is risky. Investment brings with it a possibility that you will not get out what you put in. If you invest in the stock market, you may very well come out a loser and not a winner. And here comes Jesus modeling this life that he is now describing. He is in the middle of teaching this as he is being the five-talent guy, as he's being the 25-talent guy. This is not just a man, this is God who has all resource who has all beauty who has all power who has every talent at his fingertips and what does he do with it what could he have done with it he could have not even come to earth he could have been totally square up there with son father spirit totally happy in and of themselves but he said no there is more this world is bigger and it includes my people and I'm going to go and bring them back because he had an investment that required sacrifice in order to get a return. And the return was us. Because it was a risky investment. He lived an entire life of perfect investment, loving God, loving other people, risking his money, risking his reputation, risking, risking his friends, his family, ultimately risking his life. And what you would expect at the end of his life that like the five-talent guy or like the two-talent guy, he would hear, well done, that everyone around him would have gotten it and been like, you are amazing. I can't believe God would come to earth and save us like this. Yes, we worship you. We bow to you. Instead, they said, you wicked and slothful servant. And not only did he hear that from the people that he came to save, like we just read in John three, he also heard those same words from his father. You wicked, slothful servant. The most perfect human being that has ever existed gets to the end of his life. And the one who deserves the commendation from his father the most gets curse. And on the cross, as the curses of God, fall on him. He is receiving every bit of the squandering of our life, the cursing of the squandering of our own lives that we should receive. It's as if he's been building this investment account for us. And he invests and he builds, he builds this amazing portfolio that's, it's the bull market, not the bear market. Everything's going well. He lives this perfect life. And at the very end of it, he says here, I've built it for you. You have everything that you need. Every yes and amen from God your Father is yours. You no longer have to worry what God thinks about you here. You can have his well done now. I'll take the curse. You get the blessing. That's the investment I'm willing to make for you. And so that begins to be the same way that we can continue to be full Not worrying anymore about, have I done enough today to please God? At the end of this day, am I getting a well done or am I getting a mm mm-mm? At the end of my life, with all that I know that I've done, with all of the time that I know I've spent really poorly, am I still going to get a welcome in? Can we know that for sure? Jesus is telling a parable to know that we can for sure be the five-talent guy or the two-talent guy, not because we've done it for ourselves but because he has done it for us. So we can live in his well-done. Two ways then to finish up. Two ways that living in his well-done begins to change how we live as we go back out these doors today. One, God's well-done frees you from having to determine your moral admirability based on how busy you are. You no longer have to feel that if I am busy, then I am important because God says you are important because Jesus has put his importance on you. You are important to me because you're my child, not because of anything you do for me. Your kids are important to you, those of you who have children in this room, just because they're your kids, not because they have earned your love. And in the same way, this is what your father now lavishes over you. And so we no longer have to feel good when someone says, I know you're so busy and you say, yeah, I am. We no longer have to feel bad when we see on Instagram all the fun things that other people are doing that we didn't get invited to. Because we can have a well done over our life, a smile over our life that does not depend on how we do every day. Then what does that begin to do in our hearts? We can then live within our limits. One of my favorite things about this passage is when he says, I gave to the five-talent guy according to his ability. I gave to the two-talent guy according to his ability. And the one-talent guy according to his. God does not expect everything the same from every one of you. He expects you to bring the full you to loving him and loving other people. What does that mean? To bring the full you the full you that's not afraid of having to earn a well-done anymore, to be totally open. I am the unhealthy, busy guy. I am the one who churns all the time looking for some kind of, when I'm quiet, all I hear is all the failures of my past. All I hear is all the anxiety of my future. Can you calm me? And the Holy Spirit will do it. So to close, uh, if you have seen, I was just aware of this this week, but Simon Sinek, top five TED Talks of all time, you're aware of this, uh, called How Great Leaders Inspire Action. And he says that the, the crux of the 18-minute TED Talk is to invest your life well, you need to know your why. Why do you do what you do? What gets you out of bed every morning? Because he says, people don't buy your what, but they buy your why. People follow you, and every one of us in this room, to someone, is a leader. Your influence in this world, your investment in this world, will not be because of what you do, but because of why you do it. And what we have before us in the table is the why. That the sacrifices of our God are on display here. The investment that Jesus has made for us is demonstrated here. And knowing that as he goes away, it's gonna be real hard for us to stay in that mindset. He gives us something very tangible to say, take, eat, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. As often as you eat this, remember that this actually happened. 2,000 years ago, this actually happened. And it not only has impact back then, it has impact for you today. The same well done that was garnered for you 2,000 years ago is still very much sung over you this morning. So would you come this morning to his table, to all who have come to a place of a poverty of time, where you have said, I do feel overworked. I do feel overwhelmed. I do feel like I have too much to do and not enough time to do it here. One of the the beautiful things about the bodies that God has given us is when we do certain things, it communicates certain things to our brain. And so the ability to come and kneel here is this opportunity to submit. And not only submit, but to relax in his love and to be fed This is God coming towards you as one more illustration of you do nothing in this relationship with him. He is all in to you. And the invitation there is only to work in response to what he's already done and not to give any more than what he has given for you. So I invite you this morning, uh, for all who have come to that place, uh, for all who are living a life Uh, that is pointed towards Jesus, not perfectly, but is continually wanting to come back and submit and say, I did it again. I took your stuff, I made it my own, I did it again. And yet we can come this morning and we can kneel before him and we can hear his well done. And so on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup and said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. There's a new way between God and man. And that way is Jesus Christ. And so come and drink deeply of that reality and would he more and more convince us that as real as this Bread and juice is so real, is his love lavished over us. Let's pray. So, Father, we pray that you would do now in these moments what we can't do. We cannot convince our hearts that you're real. We cannot convince our busy hearts to calm down. (laughs) Only your smile, only your grace only your love would slow us down to the point where we could actually hear your voice. So I pray that we would hear spoken over us well done. That the blessing of Jesus would now lavish his people. Speak that loudly in our ears that it would encourage us to be sent out with the full well done with the full smile, not having to go earn it, but getting to give it away. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.